good afternoon, everybody. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Jane Beach. I'm the Lead Professional Officer for Regulation with Unite. Um, and I'm joined by my colleagues, um, Obi and Sarah. Obi, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Obi Amadi. I'm Lead Professional Officer for Strategy, Policy and Equalities. Um, and really pleased to be joining you all this evening, this afternoon, for the um, conversation. Thank you. And Sarah? Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah Kovash-Clark. I'm the Assistant Director responsible for policy um, at the NMC, and I, I have overall responsibility for our English language policy. Lovely. Thank you very much. So this afternoon we are um, talking about the English language consultation that the NMC have currently um, got in progress that finishes on the 12th of August. Um, just a little bit of housekeeping. If you want to ask questions, please put them in the comments. Um, and Dave, who Dave Monday, we've got behind the scenes, will be sending those to me so we can um, ask them of our panel. And if you want to, to tweet, the hashtag is UIH live. Um, so please, you know, hopefully you will find this informative um, and please join in the conversation. So we decided on this occasion to include all of our membership in the invite for this event rather than just focus on our nursing and midwifery council registered members, because obviously all of our members are potential users of the health service. Um, and obviously communication is, is a big part of that. But we recognise absolutely that it's a really difficult time for members at the moment. You know, obviously, you know, you are all exhausted after working through COVID and, and obviously we're all dealing with the issues around the recent um, pay award. And, and just to say there will be a lot more information on that coming out to you very soon. So please make sure your membership details are up to date. But can I just ask you, um, Sarah and Obi, why should, you know, why should people engage with the consultation? Well, I suppose from, from my perspective, from our perspective, we've had um, already, we've had 31,000 uh, responses um, to the consultation um, from a whole variety of different people within working within the health and social care sector, people who are already on our register, people who want to come onto our register and employers um, uh, as well. And I think the significance of this is, I mean, it's the, the most responses we've ever had to a consultation in, in sort of relatively living memory at the NMC and the significance of this is because it's, it's a very significant part of our requirements for people to join the register who have been trained internationally so people who have been trained outside of the UK and it's a very um, and they are a very significant part of our workforce uh, so it's it's important that we we listen to what people, um, people, you know, we want to hear what people have to say about it and that we listen. Um, it's a, it's a quite a contentious um, issue. Uh, it's it's a, it's a real challenge to get the balance between um, making sure that everybody who's, who's qualified to get on our register is able to do so quickly, um, but at the same time, uh, maintaining public confidence in the professions and protecting, uh, protecting the public, which is essentially our statutory purpose. So that from the NMC's perspective, that's why we want people, uh, we're happy with the 31,000, but we want more people, uh, as many people as, who are interested in this to respond. Mm -hmm. and yeah. what do you think i mean i i i think that you know it is a really really important but but very very contentious delicate um consultation because um 
in terms of kind of English language requirements for registrants, we've had, you know, um, in the past an application process that didn't require it then we had one that did um, and then there were the issues about if you were in the EU it was different um, now we're not in the EU it's again become you know there's been a change again so that it applies um, to everybody and there are a lot of people who have been through the different processes who have a view about whether they felt it was fair or right. And we have those who have not been successfully through that, that process, who again have you know, quite strong feelings. Um, and it's, it is a really difficult one because we need to, I think, remove ourselves from getting caught up in the personal view, although it's, you know, we have to consider people's personal circumstances um, and think about what is best for the, the, the client, the patient, the service. Um, and that can kind of, you know, create a lot of discussion and debate. Brilliant. Thank you. So, so obviously we do want all of our members, whether they're, you know, regulated or registered or not, um, to give us their views so we can put those in the consultation. So, Sarah, to start off, so we can explain to, you know, to those people who may not know much, you know, about what the issues are and what's being asked. Can you just start off by just talking a little bit about the consultation in particular? Um, just, you know, where you've got to where you are and... No, no problem at all. I think just to start off with is it's important to note that everybody who applies to our register, whether they've been trained in the UK or trained outside of the UK, has to satisfy us that they have the necessary language skills to practice safely and effectively. And if you're trained in the UK, you're able to do that through one of our approved programmes. You're trained outside the UK, um, you're able to, to do that as well, as long as you can demonstrate to us that your course was taught and examined in English and that there was a, 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 a part of that course um, had a clinical element to it and that you engaged um, talking to patients, people using services, their um, other healthcare professionals in, in English. Now that could be quite hard for, for people um, outside the, the, uh, the UK to do. Um, most of the time, um, people um, will provide us with the evidence that we're looking for through one of the tests that we accept, one of the language tests we accept. And uh, those are the um, IELTS test and the OET test. So the IELTS test is the International English Language Testing System test. Um, and the OET is the Occupational English test. And uh, so most people do that, but there's a, a third option uh, whereby if you have been working in a majority English speaking country for at least a year as a registered uh, practitioner, then you're, you're able to, to use that as evidence of your English language. So what we're proposing to do at the moment, and I'm just going to briefly run through these um, slides, uh, uh, just a few slides, not too many. I just want to say that these slides are taken from um, a webinar that we did a couple of weeks ago. And um, we will post a link, we'll send the link to you later on so that you can see the full webinar and, and, and that conversation. Uh, one of the, the key and possibly the most controversial proposal is uh, that we would, we're thinking about accepting an employer reference as supporting evidence for people who don't quite pass the test. We've had a lot of um, anecdotal um, evidence to say that there are people who have been British citizens living and working in the UK um, they're trained um, in, in their country of origin as nurses, uh, but they haven't been able to pass the, the language test. And so instead of working as nurses or midwives, they're working as uh, support workers, healthcare support workers uh, in, in the system. And, and they feel that this is unfair. 
So what we're suggesting is that if you are in that position where you just can't quite pass the test, and we do know that we all suffer from exam fatigue and exam panic, you know, so um, it's quite possible that people can be perfectly capable of speaking good um, in good enough English to practice safely and effectively, but still not quite make uh, make the grade. Um, and what we're saying is that actually you, we might, we, we're thinking of accepting an employer reference um, for those who miss that test score by 0.5 or half a grade, or people who are trained in English, but in a non-majority English speaking country. And by that, we mean a country which the Home Office doesn't recognise as um, being majority English speaking. Um, and the reason we, we, we do that, we, we're thinking of doing that is because an employer reference will be able to say is, yes, they were trained um, uh, in India, but I've witnessed them uh, working with patients, with other healthcare workers, and I am satisfied um, that their, their language skills uh, mean that they can practice safely. So we obviously need to put some boundaries around that to make sure that it's safe. Um, so we're, we're suggesting that applicants must have worked for at least a year within the last two years. Um, in, an, in a health and social care setting in the UK, that their referee must work in the same organisation, be an NMC registrant so that they know what the, you know, what the code means, what's, what's the relevant standards, um, and in a leadership role. Um, and then we, we want a senior registrant also at the same employer to countersign the reference so that that means that, that in, increases a, a level of ob objectivity uh, in there because when we've explored this in the past, people have said, well, how do you get them to be consistent? How do you get them to be fair? What if someone's been, you know, not, not getting what they, they want from their employer? Or what if an employer is just, you know, desperate to get somebody on the register? How do you, what boundaries and safeguards do you put in there? So we're asking people uh, what they think about that. And we're also asking um, whether, how we can ensure greater consistency. And we're also asking a broader question as to whether these employer reference should be um, used on their own, because some uh, regulators do do use them um, as, as evidence um, on, on their own. Um, so that's uh, that's one one aspect that we're talking about. Um, the second point is um, is also around is around postgraduate qualifications. And what we hear from people is that, you know, I've got a master's degree and yet I can't pass this test. Uh, so, you know, how ridiculous is that? So we're thinking, well, should we accept postgraduate qualifications taught and examined in English? Um, we, obviously, we'd want them to, to make sure that it covers all the aspects of language, so reading, writing, speaking, and listening. You know, does it work in the healthcare system? You know, is it relevant to the healthcare system? Um, and should we accept any qualifications that are outside the, the disciplines of nursing and midwifery? Because there might be some related something in, in a scientific um methodology or, or something else uh, that might test all those language skills but does that mean you can you can speak um, you know you can communicate effectively in English uh, through um, within the health and social care uh, setting so that's the kind of key question there for us um, and then the third bit is um, around test combining in schools so at the moment um, you can combine two test results as long as in each of the four domains, if you take two test scores together, you've, you've hit the, the necessary mark in, in each one. And those two tests have been taken um, within six months of, the, of each other. We're thinking of extending the period um, to one year rather than six months. And again, that's to allow people to kind of draw breath and, you know, these tests aren't cheap. Um, so, you know, get the money together and just think about, you know, they're trying to do a day job and manage families and all sorts of other things. You know, if they can take them, the test within um, within a year rather than six months, um, I think that, you know, we think that might be might be fairer. Um, and uh, just a very small and technical 
boring point, but uh, we we um, amended the writing score for IELTS and OET back in 2019, but we we forgot to um, adjust them for the uh, for the test combining proposals. So uh, we're just trying to fix that anomaly through this consultation. But the key point is using those test combining uh, within 12 months um, rather than six months. What we're not doing at the moment is changing individual or overall scores that we require for language tests. Uh, we've asked a question about that. So, you know, if that's something that you feel strongly about, please answer that question. We did a, a standard setting exercise with um, the Occupational English Test Providers, the OET, and they, you know, they suggested that potentially the speaking element could, could be amended, uh, but they, they felt we needed to seek other evidence. So uh, we're using this consultation to try and seek some um, other evidence. And if there's a strong view that we haven't got the right level, then we, we, we will do some more work in, in, in that area. But those are the kind of three elements that we're looking at um, in terms of the, the consultation proposals. Thank you. That's really interesting. So, I mean, a, a couple of things from me. I mean, which test do people sit, Sarah? Is it, you know, is there a lot of difference between the tests? Does it make a difference which test you sit and how is it decided? So that's, that's individual choice. Um, so the IELTS test is a broad test. It doesn't focus particularly on, on healthcare. So um, I think a lot of criticisms of that test are that uh, they asked me to write uh, an essay on beekeeping, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's that got to do with my job? Uh, whereas the OET is a test that has been specifically designed for nursing and tested with nursing um, professionals. Uh, you know, so the test, the, the questions are tested with nursing professionals. It's, it's, it's got a much more um, health and social care um, aspect to it. So when we, we've only, we only started accepting the OET from 2017. So obviously it's taken a while for the OET to catch up, but we're starting to see more and more people take the OET. And it's a, it's a matter of individual choice. Right, okay. Um, and if we go back to um, the proposals around um, having employer references, um, I mean, I can see that potentially being problematic in, I don't know, certain settings. So you think of primary care, you know, there isn't always another NMC registrant there. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there are many other settings where, again, that might be an issue. So, you know, is it practical? I mean, you know, how are you going to get around situations like that? I think that's the, that's the difficulty for us. And that's, again, one of the reasons why we haven't pursued this in the past. Um, we've had some uh, we had some very strong feedback that we ought to consider this. Um, so so that's why we're considering it. Uh, we think it could work very well um, in an NHS trust, but we are concerned that you know, there might be some challenges in, in primary care trusts and social care in particular. And so we are you know, trying to reach out um, through the consultation to try and see you know, what ideas there are out there for this to work effectively across all, all sectors. I mean, there's, there's an argument to say, well, if it can't work across all sectors, we shouldn't implement it at all. Um, the other our counter argument to that is, well, it, you know, there's a lot of people who work in the NHS. Um, so at least if we could do something to make it easier for people in, um, in the NHS, that, that, that's something. Uh, we, we don't, you know, we haven't got a view on, on that at the moment, but those are the sort of things, uh, questions that we're, we're trying to debate at the moment. And Obi, can I just bring you in? So, I mean, yeah. what, you, what, what are your views on, on this proposal? Okay. Well, I mean, in terms of the proposal, I mean, for me, um, you know, the first question should be about whether employer references 
should be introduced and if so let's look at how that might happen and what who though the people that would sign it off would be but we don't have that question it's just jumped in so I mean I'm glad that Sarah that you're saying that you know it's it's not a a given it's something that's being considered because um you know when you're working in a nursing home and there's only one rgn um registered nurse there you know how how is that going to work it's you know there are a lot of difficulties um in in many many situations we have um and we know because we hear it um often about employers who put pressure on staff to you know, sign um, candidates, applicants off as being, you know, able and being safe because they spend a lot of money training and supporting and they want, firstly, they want that person in their workforce doing, you know, the registrant role as opposed to a supporting role. Um, and, you know, they've spent money and they want their money's worth. They want their money back. Um, and, Although not every employer is is guaranteed to be doing that, there are there is an element where that happens. I mean, we've had even on in terms of other situations where staff would be miscounted um, just mm -hmm. so that their numbers would look good. You know, there so there are things that people mm -hmm. do um, as a means to an end. Um, you know, so even though having a two stage um, assessment validation or whatever. Um, is better than just having one there are still for for me and for the people that i've spoken to there are still a lot of concerns around how that would work um you know you also have the issue about you know if if somebody is not liked um if they don't get on um you know will they be judged fairly because again the the person who does the final sign off is relying on the whoever it is that does the first signing off if there is an issue they wouldn't necessarily know that so those are you know just a couple of things that I think are kind of quite concerning yeah. um you know I mean I I, I, I can I keep talking because I will you can keep talking yeah, yeah okay that's great I mean you know again one of the issues that we are all too aware of and we are quite concerned about is in terms of fitness to practice the number of fitness to practice referrals that are ethnic minorities in terms of these you know these overseas applicants yes I know that it's you know it's kind of worldwide it could be but at the moment we know that there's a particular focus on you know um, people coming from, you know, the Indian subcontinent, from, you know, the Philippines, um, you know, and in, uh, from Africa, um, who are wanting to, to, to go on the register. And we know that those are some of the people, the, the registrants, who are almost overrepresented in fitness to practice. So again, we need to take a lot of care in, in changing the way that they are going to be you know assessed and, and accepted onto the register because we do not want those numbers to go up because the unintended consequence of some of these changes means that you know it's it's not quite as I don't want to say the word stringent but but there's there are there are weaknesses within the process. I think it is you're right Obi it's always difficult isn't it to identify all of the unintended consequences you know but it, it's so I think we need our members 
support in in coming up with with issues that they could see could be a potential because yeah you're absolutely I think the ones you've identified absolutely absolutely right I don't know if you want to come back on that at all Sarah or yes I do I mean I think that the points that Obi's raised are, are, are very pertinent it's a very very finely balanced um issue uh, I think when this was first raised with us again um our response was, well, it is it is potentially open to discrimination um, because it was felt, you know, by our stakeholders or some, you know, uh, a big group of stakeholders that, that potentially our processes were discriminatory um, and that that's why we needed to introduce an employer um, reference element. But there is, from my mind, also a risk if you're not careful of employers behaving in discriminatory ways, either putting, you know, giving people references that they shouldn't give or holding back um, references and, and, you know, I could envisage somebody who is a very good trained nurse but you know it's cheaper to employ as a healthcare support worker for example and why would I bother you know giving her a reference um, and having to pay her more money um, or, or him for example so you know I think there are, are issues um, either way and, that, and that's why we are uh, you know consulting on it and we will think very carefully before we, we make these if we didn't before we recommend making any changes and, and I probably should have said at the start it's actually our council so these proposals will be um, or the outcomes of this consultation will be um, presented to council in September uh, and um, and it's their decision so in the council meeting in, in September so whatever whatever we go um, so so, yeah. yeah, so we've got, I mean, we've got, you know, on um, Facebook, we've got people agreeing with you, with your comments, Obi, and also um, pointing out, thank you very much, Asha, that the complex care needs and communication are realities and working with internationally recruited nursing six months in English and communication is still an issue, even when they achieved high um OET scores, have I used the right? Well, that's what it says here. So I'll just read that out. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, that's kind of a point, I suppose, more than a, a question, but um, a very valid one as well. It is a very valid, valid, valid point. And one of the things that our stakeholders are saying to us, and that one, one thing that we want to work with employers on post this consultation is, you know, it's fine getting people on the register but what support is given to people um when they you know start work um in terms of understanding you know the particular cultural environment that they're working in and, and that i think goes to some of Obi's points earlier as well about um you know inappropriate and discriminatory referral potentially discriminatory referrals because people haven't been given the support that they need to um to, to understand what's expected of them um within the context that they're working in so so yes and so it's not just about getting on the register it's about helping people to stay on the register as well mm -hmm. yeah oh jane you're on mute oh sorry i'm getting carried away looking at there's lots of <laughs> comments coming through i think to say they're coming through thick and fast so apologies for that so yeah it's just saying the ask is for the review of english criteria um they're concerned that this may well be biased um and then there is another one that if it's okay i'll i'll just i'll read out they're saying yes i agree like in a song chain of falls there are weak parts and they should be replaced or acted upon so i think what what we absolutely need is is those you know those parts kind of pointed out so united we can make change solidarity and good communication are the key 
together we'll be stronger. However, anyone should be given more than three chances. So is that reference, Sarah? Do people get only get three chances at sitting the exam? No. No, no, they can no. take it as many times as they like. Um, but I think the practicalities are cost time yeah, preparation yeah, time that kind yeah. of thing so it's indeed and maybe that's that I mean I may have misunderstood that and and please come back if if I have um but you know maybe that's something that's put on by employers potentially mm. because Potential, as you say yeah. because of the cost so but thank you very valid those comments very welcome so please keep them coming um yeah. I was going to move on to um, the postgraduate um, proposals. So it's around accepting postgraduate qualifications taught and examined in English, even in non-majority English speaking countries, as well as using qualifications outside of nursing or midwifery. So, Obi, have you got any kind of comments, any concerns about that aspect? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Um, one of the things that that concerns me with this is because I, I know, again, because, you know, from hearing people's comments, they believe that if they have a degree in um, in English in another subject, whether it be health related or non health related, that should be good enough. Well, you know, nowadays we know more and more that some of the degree courses are taught um, kind of like online and you don't necessarily always have the same kind of person-to-person -person interaction where you would develop language, learn nuances and colloquialisms and all of the rest of it. You don't necessarily have that. And you can, so you could, in theory, almost write your dissertation up in isolation um, just with you know the, the the comments and things from your supervisor that would not necessarily prove whether it be a you know BSc or a master's that would not necessarily prove that you were proficient enough in all the four different language domains it would obviously written you would it would be fine um, but it wouldn't cover all four so again that gives us some concerns about how you do that to get it right because we want to make sure that these um, candidates are able to to communicate things which are delicate which are complex which are as I say colloquialism you know we, we've had all the things about you know oh I want to I'm going to sit on the throne or I want to spend a penny all of those kind of things can completely floor somebody if you're doing your um your experience in one part of the country where those phrases are commonly used um or if you're, you're doing your experience in a part of the country where those phrases are not used and then you end up working in a situation where they are common i mean it, it's it's confusing um the the ilets and the um the other test both kind of prepare you this is my understanding to work anywhere so you could work in Scotland it would prepare you to work in Scotland Northern Ireland England Wales wherever whereas if we rely on um, the degree if we rely on um, employer references again there are some some weaknesses um, in that as a system I think um, and also um, we need to really, really think about neurodiversity because we know that we have, and people do successfully go through their, their nurse training 
um, and it's later on it's discovered that they may have you know a, a problem whether it be dyslexia or, or, or other um, but I don't know how good we are at looking at that in terms of the international nurses and supporting them through those situations because you know there is often a cost to that um, that the organization would need to to take on board and I'm just you know again it's one of those things that that needs to be supported because again it could lead to more discriminatory practice. Yeah we've had a question come in on this topic so what post basic or masters are included on the list um, they suggest a degree in art or design wouldn't be fit for the criteria to assess English so has thought been given to that Sarah at this point? Well, we have thought about it. And actually, if you think about the, there's an enormous number of, of courses out there. And uh, at one point we thought, well, should we just do an assessment of all of them and then have a list? And, and I just don't think that that's practical um, for us as a, as a regulator to do. Um, so uh, what we are suggesting potentially, depending on what people come back with, is, well, you know, how you need to just demonstrate to us how your course enabled you to, to, to meet all the, the separate four domains and what about this course enabled you to work in the healthcare context so that people have an opportunity to demonstrate that because you know other, otherwise we will just have to try and keep and maintain up to um, a, a massive list of postgraduate qualifications up to date which just isn't going to work I don't think in, in terms of a, a, an agile system. Mm. And we've obviously had some concerns expressed that people are hearing that this is a, you know, this is about lowering the standard. I don't know how mm. you would, I think you, you kind of touched on it before, but how would you respond to that, Sarah? And um, that absolutely isn't our intention. I think what we're trying to explore with this is there other pieces, are there other pieces of evidence that would enable us to be satisfied that the standard that we want and that we're maintaining has been met? You know, are we being too rigid? In our approach, or is there other evidence that we could consider? So the the the, the you know pushback, the challenge to us has been: you're being too rigid. You're not considering other sources of evidence that could give you the same assurance. And that's that's the bit we're trying to explore. It was absolutely not about lowering the standards at all. It's just about are there alternative pieces of evidence that can give us the assurance that the standards being met? And have you looked at what other regulators do? I mean, how do these proposals? differ or you know how do you compare to other other regulators in this yeah so i think in terms of the test uh, scores that we accept we're largely consistent with other professional regulators here in the uk and also nursing midwifery regulators um, um outside the uk sorry excuse me no worries um and i don't know what happened there sorry at my phone um so, uh, so so yeah we are broadly consistent in that sense in terms of the tests we accept I think other regulators, the GMC and the GDC here in the UK, do accept employer references, uh, but they they have slightly a slightly different sort of spin on on what they do. And and interestingly, um, some of the feedback we've had from the GMC is that they would say, well, if someone hasn't met the test in the standard, and you're going to give a reference for them, doesn't that indicate that there that that your reference you shouldn't be giving a reference in the first place? Which I think is an interesting way of, of, of looking at it. Um, Again, at the moment we're open-minded about it, but when we are 
we are broadly consistent with what other regulators. There's no other piece of alternative evidence that other regulators accept that, that we aren't thinking of accepting or, or, or we're not doing something that's completely, you know, and an outlier with other Yeah, regulators. in terms of what they're doing, you said they do a different way. I mean, have they had any issues with the way they're doing it? I mean, would it, you know, would you follow the way they're doing it or are you proposing to do something completely different? Well, I think the difference from our, our perspective is that um, we don't, we think we might have a lot of people using this um, approach and the GMC, I don't think have a lot of people uh, using this. Uh, most people um, at the moment still, you know, use that, use the test. Uh, so we don't know how many people might, might use it. Um, I think our approach is slightly different because we are saying, well, it could supplement, a reference could supplement um, a score that hasn't quite met the standard. Whereas the, the, the GMC's perspective, and it's an, a legitimate yeah, perspective, yeah. is well, if you haven't met the standard, then yeah, I how see. valuable is a reference? Yeah, and which I, I don't, I personally don't really agree with that because I think there are situations where you might just miss the standard, but mm. there is if you get it sufficiently objective, then you know that some supplementary evidence might just you know tip you over over the line. But you know it's it's all it's all to play for essentially. You know it's all you know we we want to know what people think. Toby, I can see you're itching. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, you know, for me, um, you know, there are the four language domains that people need to pass. Just like when you do your GCSEs or where you do your A-levels, there are set tests that you need to achieve a certain score to pass. Um, people might think that that's strict or whatever, but, you know, that's what we have. Um, you know, with this proposal, we're now saying, OK, so we're going to test you and you need to pass three and a bit language domains. And then the fourth one, would, you know, the, 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 the point, whether it be a 0.5 or a grade or a whatever is it's the deficit is there is a deficit. You are in deficit. We will kind of go around the houses to make that up. Um, so rather than saying at the minute we've got four language domains which you must pass, um, we're moving to a situation where you can get, um, you can have three and you'll, there's an alternative means to give you the equivalent. Um, so is, so do we then change it and just have three language domains? And then a fourth alternative way of testing that fourth part, mm. if that if that makes sense, because yeah, it's like it's four domains or it's four domains. If it's mm. not going to be four domains that are clear and straightforward, that needs to change in itself. Mm. Mm. I think that's a very very a, a very fair point, um, and I I come back to the point that actually although tests not aren't perfect they are the most objective method we have of, of, of testing people's capability of practicing safely and effectively mm -hmm. um, and once you move away from that or you you start to introduce other elements you are introducing an element of subjectivity uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong thing to do but uh, you know it is simpler just to keep with 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 tests and testing those those four domains and and, and that's a challenge for us we want to keep things simple, but we want to keep them fair too. So it, it's where do we, where's that kind of fine um, line uh, that we need to, to trade? Where's the balancing point for us? 
And it's quite interesting because obviously, you know, it's it's been mentioned that it is a contentious issue. And obviously there are, you know, there's more to it than maybe people might think initially. But given the huge response that you've had, Sarah, how are you going to make sure that people's views are heard, you know, in the main? Because it's quite possible that, you know, there may be a, a, a group with a particular view that could, you know, got large numbers of people to respond so unduly influence um the consultation so how do you make sure that doesn't happen we're working with a group uh, of um researchers called britain thinks who do a lot of research in the health and social care sector and um they are you know very well qualified researchers we're, we're gathering a lot of qual uh, quantitative data effectively lots of numbers through the survey the consultation but they're also doing focus groups as well so to explore with different types of people what their views are and they're well aware of the the you know the, the issue that happens with a lot of consultations where there's cut and paste jobs coming in or cut, cut and paste responses. So they're alive to that issue and they um, are capable of waiting the responses. So obviously we've got lots and lots of responses from current registrants at the moment um, and less, less responses from employers, but actually the, the opinion of employers is very important, especially on uh, references because other people would have to um, operate or implement the system so they have I mean don't ask me how they do it but they have the expertise to to get the get a proper balance um, in, in in there uh, so that everybody's views are taken into mm. consideration and we are certainly getting some feedback from you know people going through the process that you know it, it, they definitely welcome the change and and you know the people that are trying to to make the change. So so thank you for your your feedback on Facebook. It's really really useful, and and um, we will definitely use it. So just moving on, so we don't run out of time on the test combining and the scores and moving to twelve months rather than six. Um, yeah, what do you think about that, Obi? Have you got any kind of views yeah. on that one? Okay, I mean, in terms of you know, as as Sarah said, the the um, in what was it, twenty nineteen, there was a change in terms of um, the score that was lowered to six point five rather than seven. Um, again, in terms of like discussions that I've had with the members, they and and it's been um, you know people in in senior roles as well as um, you know clinicians with their, with hands-on patients um, you know they generally seem to feel that that's the right level that's where the test score should be um, you know however the opportunity to extend um, the time um, of the test to 12 months is favoured um, and it's 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 favoured from two points of view one that you know if you because of cost um, you know, there's a potential for the cost to increase for everybody. Um, so it allows people to kind of like to focus down and, 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 and do the test when they're ready and not feel pressured because, you know, the cost of having to do it again and again and again is obviously something that we don't want. Um, but it also gives people the flexibility that, you know, because life happens and they can, you know, all sorts of things can happen to you in your, you know, in your personal life, your working life or whatever. And it gives people a bit of a chance to, to, you know, to live their lives and, and, and take the test at the right time when there is less pressure. 
because you know if people think oh my six months is running out but I've still got x y and z problems I'm going to take the test you know they're you know they may well not pass it which is a you know a great shame um so yeah so it gives people flexibility because life happens and life experiences are are real and really valid and should be considered um but also it kind of can help or hinder in terms of cost so there's kind of there's the kind of two sides to that but i think that the 12 month is as an option um is something that we should consider that mm. should be considered yeah brilliant i think um the final point on the consultation asks whether you know if the standards are changed whether it should be applicable across the register so for nurses you know midwifery and nursing associates um i don't know any strong views on on that to me it would seem sensible you've got you know any standards you have have to be applicable across but Obi, what what mm -hmm. would you say to that one yeah i mean i i would say you know thinking about the standards that we've got you know across you know it's 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 appropriate for nursing it's appropriate for midwifery you know and in terms of the work that they do they have to communicate a lot of complex um things to their patients to their clients they need to understand what their patients clients are saying to them and they also need to be able to discuss things at a quite intimate level as well as complex um from in terms of you know a nursing associate they may not have to discuss and understand things that are quite as complex, but they still do need to have conversations that are complex. And they also do need to have conversations that are intimate. Um, therefore, I mean, I, I would say that it, it, it's, it's an appropriate thing to think about the standard being applicable across all four um, parts of the register. Mm, brilliant. Um, we've had another question that, that is linked to the consultation. So obviously we need good English language standards, but likewise nurses coming to work in Wales need to learn to speak Welsh. So if you're setting a standard for England, are you setting a similar standard for the Welsh speaking public? Sarah, that's one just for you, I think. Okay, no, no worries. So just to explain that we're setting a standard for the whole of the UK. Um, so uh, because uh, that is our statutory responsibility, that's our legal responsibility, that we are legally obliged to make sure that uh, people joining the register can uh, speak uh, and, and communicate effectively in English. Um, so that's what this consultation is about. Um, I think in terms of the Welsh language, there is a broader point as um, uh, you know, as we uh, the four countries diverge more and more, I think there's a broader policy point. Um, uh, you know, it may be that government um, subsequently says, well, actually, you need to have, you know, language specific um, requirements in each of the four countries, for example, there's a, the, you see a greater um, uh, proliferation of um, Scots languages, as well as um, uh, Irish uh, languages as well. So there's a whole kind of area uh, there potentially to, to grow into. Um, for, the, for now, it seems to me the broader policy point is best addressed by employers, um, making sure that uh, the people that they employ are able to communicate with all of their, um, all of the people that they treat. Um, really. but so so that's, that's why we're just looking at English, because that's our legal responsibility to, to, to do that. Okay. 
Thank you. So, Sarah, if you could say from your point of view how people can respond to the consultation and then I'll get you to say something about it as well, Obi, from an organisational point of view. Yes, so um, there is a um, there's a link um, which I can, we can post. I'll make sure I'll, I'll post you to the link for the consultation survey and also for the uh, webinar that we held a couple of weeks ago. Um, so there's quite a lot that so that's how the best way to respond. So that link takes you to um, a consultation survey. We think it takes about 15, 20 minutes to to, to respond to. We tested it out. And, and so far, people aren't saying it's excessively long. Um, but there, it's a good idea to read the, the consultation document first, and, and it'd be great if people responded to the survey. Obviously, we're saying to you know uh, organisations like Unite, it's really helpful to have your you know uh, um, a consultation response, but uh, but a, a formal consultation response you know in writing um, as, as well as other things, because we recognise that you reflect the views of lots of your members as well. So um, so that's but well, we will I'll send you the links. Um, uh, Jane, Dave, and Obi, um, so that you can um, put those on the page. Okay, Obi. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of um, members um, coming back to us, um, we would um, love it. Firstly, if you um, sent comments in about the proposals to the Uniting Health um, inbox. Um, but also very much so we would really, really like it if you were able to um, reply to respond to the consultation as an individual. Um, you know, we've already heard that there's been a fantastic, um, you know, unprecedented by the NMC response so far. Um, you know, we would, you know, we would love our members to also, you know, make sure that their voices are are heard in this. Yes, we will do an organizational response um, to it. Um, uh, as, so um, we'll need to get that in. I'm just trying to remembering the, the, oh, right. There is a, a di, oops, we had a digest, I think in last week. No, sorry, I'm getting myself confused. Um, but we will no, we will be um, encouraging and reminding you over social media about where the consultation, where to access the consultation and where to send your responses through. So I think probably the best website would be healthsector.unitetheunion.org. Um, I think that's fair, isn't it, Obi? And then they'll be passed yeah. on to you and you can incorporate them. But um, I think I haven't got any more um, questions. So before I wrap up, is there anything, Kel, any final words from you, Sarah? No, uh, just thank you for this opportunity. And it's been, been great to have this conversation. So, um, you know, very happy to continue the conversation as, as we sort of progress through the consultation. So thank you, everybody, very much for participating. And it's the 12th of August is 12th the final August. day, isn't That's it? So, yes. so we would need responses at least a week before that, wouldn't we? That's so, right. Obi, any final words from you? Um, no, I mean, I think that it's been really good to be able to have the discussion. And I mean, you know, I think it's it's really, really good that the NMC is, you know, giving us all the opportunity to kind of like talk through um you know where it is that they're coming from why they're proposing what they're proposing um it's it's clear that they're trying to do something which 
is helpful. Um, so we need to just think about that and and respond whether we support it um, or there are we we think that there are other ways that things can be done. So um, yeah, I mean, I hope that people have found it beneficial. Thank you. So I'd like to say thank you to you both for your time and for having a good conversation. And thank you, Dave, for, for doing the technical side in the background. Always appreciated. And, and thank you all for um, watching and listening either now or if you're tuning in later. Hope you found it useful. But thank you for all your comments. Really useful. We may not have used them all, but we have definitely taken them on board. So um, thank you very much. Um, hope you stay safe and and well and have a good evening and thank you again thank you.